0: Yes, it is,
1: and this is out of the woods, a Yellow Jackets podcast. Uh, how are you feeling, this evening, Matthew? how
0: sensational, dude!
1: <laughs> That's great. It's so consistent. Yeah, to offer you a peek behind the curtain, listeners, this episode was a bit of a pain in the ass to set up, but we are here now, so let's not worry about that.
0: Worked uh, out all the technological kinks.
1: Well, if you're hearing this, we did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> put it that way.
0: Don't want to put the egg before the horse. <laughs>
1: Quite. <laughs> uh, in the previous episode, we discussed uh, the movie Crimes of the Future by David Cronenberg, and we have now uh, seen said film, so that's good. Yes. <laughs> what? And, and we both uh, liked it. Yes. Yes, uh, not to give any spoilers, but there is a, a young fellow eating a bucket and a chap covered in ears.
0: That happens quite near the start. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it was at least a, former of those.
1: It's a great movie. K-Stew uh, is fantastically sort of squirrely and weird in it. Yeah. It's, it's a good movie. Uh, if you have not seen it already, I recommend it. But we are not here today to discuss Crimes in the Future. We're here to discuss episode six of Yellow Jackets Saints. Uh, Matthew, what do you think of this episode?
0: Yeah, it's good. It's good. It had a lot of interesting uh, abortion-y bits. And...
1: <laughs> Quite. <laughs> we'll get into that. Fall, fall. Mm. I think this is an episode of some really, really good scenes, like the, the aforementioned Woods abortion, mm. the weird baptism, the Jackie-Nat confrontation. The weird Jackie flashbacks, that's all uh, that's all great. I don't like the lunch scene with Jackie's parents, I just think that's very obnoxiously written.
0: Yeah, it's a bit uncomfortable. No,
1: and, But that would be f- not in the way that the creators intended it to. Anyway, basically, I think this is a pretty damn good episode, not as quite as good as the previous one, but still a pretty damn good episode. And uh, yeah, let us get into it. Episode 6, Saints, written by Ashley Lyle, Bart Nickerson, and Chantelle Wells. Directed by Billy Woodruff. Oh, just one thing before we get into that. Uh, I looked up the whole thing about sleeping on the floor. Yeah. And apparently some people say sleeping on the floor is bad, other people say it's good. The jury is seemingly still out.
0: So we're right back where we started.
1: (laughs) Quite. Uh, Listener, if you have any strong feelings or opinions on the ergonomic benefits of sleeping on a hardwood floor, uh, feel free to chime in. Anyway, get started on the episode. We flashback to the year 1989. And a stuffy-looking fellow in a suit driving a car, his beautiful wife is in the passenger seat, he is reacting to radio news of the Exxon Valdez oil spill. And he complains about the rising oil price, which, you know, the fact that that was his first priority and not the livelihoods of the people affected kind of tells you what sort of guy he is.
0: Expensive petroleum! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just... That Harry Potter name <laughs> popped into my head. <laughs> just had to get it out.
1: Yes, rather like lancing a boil. Gross. So the little girl in the back seat, who is their daughter, starts randomly hyperventilating and screaming. Whether this is because she's concerned about the environment or for some other reason, or because she has some kind of psychic power, we don't as yet know. Her parents react more annoyedly than surprisedly. I think the implication is this has happened before, and this means that they don't immediately drive out in front of them, and then a truck crashes into the car in front of them. There's a panning shot of the accident. It's very horrific. You know, blood everywhere. It's like those videos they show you when you go for your driving test to scare you into obeying traffic laws. And yeah, they both stare incredulously at their daughter, who seems fine now and is just sort of happily playing with her little unicorn creature. And it cuts to Lottie asleep, rather, in her little sleeping area, as her parents, who are named Malcolm and Amelia Matthews, argue with each other and they're like, there are things in this world that we don't understand. And the dad is like, Lottie is sick and we're taking her to a psychiatrist and that's the end of it. And, you know, maybe that's how he made his fortune, is that Lottie randomly whispers the predictions of the future in her sleep, like,
0: Enron's gonna go bust.
1: <laughs> and Malcolm is like, oh, sell all of my shares in Enron. No, no, just a theory. So what do you, just based on that scene, and also the episode in general, what do you think, Matthew? Do you think it's psychic powers or do you think it's just a coincidence?
0: I'm just gonna, yeah, say it's psychic powers and be done with it. Yeah,
1: I... The the vision that she has, it sort of seems to me like... She's
0: seeing the, the crash of the checker. The yes, The I mean, plane, bang, dead. See,
1: we'll we'll get to that more, but also, I just thought of that, and then I had that thought as we were watching, I was like, oh, wow, I guess it's pretty clear then. But then I, had, I remembered, in the episode previous to this one, L- Laura Lee was reading the plane manuals, so... Lottie might have independently known that she was going to do it, and just you know what I mean, like
0: yeah, like the li- most likely outcome yes, is that yes. she will blow up,
1: which is an extremely likely outcome. Yeah, Could sorry, just
0: be some connections in her brain making oh. her hallucinate. <laughs> like oh, this a is hallucinate. one time
1: we forgot to say this is not, repeat, not a spoiler-free podcast. I'm so a bit
0: late now, but oh well, sorry. <laughs> Moving on,
1: but yeah, it's definitely not by any means cut and dried. So we cut two. Lottie in the Woods in 96, wandering around somewhat confusedly. She and a group of other girls are trying to gather some berries, but there are not any. Mari yells, how the fuck are there no fucking berries? This introduces the theme of food shortage. That'll be very important going forward. And Aquila theorises that birds or mice might be uh, picking them off, and then Van says, I'd eat the crap out of a mouse right now. <laughs> Everybody seems to find this fairly gross, and Lottie is like, You know, some animals live off eating their own vomit, which I hope that was not a suggestion.
0: That's not to eat a computer mouse. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Quite. Hey, what do you call a computer mouse that swears?
0: A cursor.
1: Took a second for that to
0: click. <laughs>
1: and then Mari says, Did dead cabin guy tell you that, or do you guys just chat about blood and stuff? And Mari. If you're going to be mean, be mean in a less lame way. Mm. It's a very lame comment. Lottie's like, no, we mostly talk about how Danny Mears dumped you for his own cousin. And Lottie walks off. And Mari protests that they are second cousins, which is totally legal. (laughs) And away from this unpleasant social encounter, Lottie wanders off and sees a deer with bloody fucked up antlers. Ah, It's quite horrifying, actually. And she's like, oh, that's a bit odd. And Van was over to her and says, look, ignore Mari, okay? I don't think she's taken a shit in like two weeks. (laughs) Which, I mean, I hate to drill down into this too heavily, but what is the whole outhouse situation like? You know, like, do they have an outhouse or they just go to dig a hole? So Van asks if Lottie is okay, which is really nice. And I, you know, that's nice of her, always looking out for folk. And I love that even though this episode is mostly about setting up Lottie's relationship with another character, they're able to work in some interactions with Van in this ep that feel totally organic as well. We see a POV of Van and she does not see a fucked up deer. So it's really this is something that Lottie is hallucinating. And then she says she's okay. She isn't. Van seems to accept this and walks away, and we close the opening scene on a shot of Lottie looking at the fucked up deer while uncertain and unsettling music plays. Good opening. Slightly misleading, because I don't think it's it's not really a Lottie episode, like in the same way that Eb 4 was a Nat episode, I wouldn't say. So it's a slightly misleading opening, but still a good one. Anyway, we cut to credits, and we cut to the present, where Shauna is driving up to a motel, and she encounters my boy Randy. Just an excellent fellow all around, in my opinion. (laughs) He's surprised to see, and he's like, yeah, Tammy kicked me out. We're going through one of our little divorces right now. (laughs) And he says, might be cheaper to keep her. And I'm sure Shauna can understand that frankly i think a lot of married couples can probably understand that anyway shauna lies terribly when he questions why she's there she's all like oh my book club meets at the coffee shop you know what parking is like yeah you know those coffee shops that are open at night yeah that host book club meetings
0: yeah just to just to get ahead of the market of people that really just need to come in massive groups and get coffee at three in the morning
1: (laughs) i mean i feel like that's basically university students so maybe they should open up to that market, but yeah, it's very convenient for Shauna that everybody around her is extremely stupid.
0: Yeah, I can identify.
1: Randy reveals that he has a yellow jacket tattoo. He says he is whiskey high till I die, and he demands that, well, politely requests that she give Jeff a big man hug for him, which lol. And Shauna wanders away from him. She knocks on a door of one of the. Rooms. Nat opens the door and they look skeptically at each other. Yeah, Nat and Shauna do not really get along (laughs) for reasons that we will find out more about later in the season. And I think just their personalities just rub each other the wrong way as well. Ty is smoking. I hate to promote such things, but she does look cool doing it. (laughs) Nat says, "You look like shit," and Shauna's like, "Well, back at (laughs) you." I love that. Like it's like aggressive, aggressive versus passive aggressive. I love their personalities. And she's like, That was Jeff. Is he still hawking futons? (laughs) Jesus Christ, now at least her spouse wasn't hawking meth.
0: No. There's worse things you can peddle than couches.
1: I have, uh, I mean, I'm sure we'll get more details on that later. And Ty shuts this incipient fight down, as she does later in the episode. She's like, We're not doing this, okay? We've got a situation here, we're going to deal with it. Together. It's like, being in charge, breaking up fights, forcing people into line, that's her favourite thing. That's the only time she truly feels alive. Nat shows Shauna the images of dead Trav. She appears somewhat upset by this. They tell Shauna about the blackmail. And she says that she never got a postcard. Now here's the thing. You could say, oh, well obviously that means I'm not in on it, because if I was doing it, I'd send one to myself. Yeah. Or... You could say you'd specifically not do that in order to deflect suspicion, because you would send one to yourself if it was you, so you could, you you know?
0: It's...
1: (sighs) Oh dear, I've gone cross-eyed. Yeah. You you know what I
0: mean? Very much That's
1: What I'm saying is that that MSL doesn't tell us anything. And Ty is like, we're not sure exactly what they know, but I sure as hell don't want to find out. And Shauna says that, oh, this is an interesting line. It's got to be someone from the team. Hmm. A, not a good sign for Coach Ben or the Harvester. They've already talked about Misty, so it's not her. So we know that there's at least two people from the team who they know are still alive. Yeah. I wonder who they are. Well, I have my theories, and maybe we can get to that later in the episode uh, or later in the season. And they talk about uh, Jessica, the reporter, and Ty says, I threatened a lawsuit. I told her to back off. This is obviously a lie because Ty is the one who hired her. Nat's plan is to bring Jessica Roberts to them by offering to tell her her story and the others disagree loudly with this idea. They yell at her not to do that. She's like, You know, I don't like it when you yell at me. Which is fair. And Ty is working on getting the money. They plan to put a GPS tracker in with the cash and Shauna says, I can't believe I'm saying this, but should we loop Misty in? And then Ty's like, no, she could be part of this. Which, fair. I think you should kind of, by default, suspect her of everything and anything.
0: Keep her enemies close off.
1: Quite. Shauna is horrified by Misty and Nat playing Buddy Cop. And there's a, there's a dumb expository line that's like, Is there anything I should know besides Travis maybe being murdered? The black, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, it's like, it's one of those dumb expository lines like, So what you're saying is, or, As you know, Jim, is dumb.
0: It is a little dumb.
1: But I can forgive it. Uh, cut two Misty leaving her workplace to the. Complete indifference of everybody around her. She says she is bringing cronuts. You may know more about this than me. Are cronuts across from, you know, a croissant and a donut?
0: I mean, I think so. Cool. <laughs> the, that I've, that I've never good. tried to make one, but maybe, I've never maybe even now eaten I should. One.
1: Yeah, no, that sounds pretty good to me. Misty has a fuck ton of pills in the boot of her car. How interesting. I wonder what she's planning on doing with those. Cut two. Shauna pensively examining the postcard in her kitchen. Jeff appears and reminds her about brunch with Jackie's parents today. And she is confused about when that is and what day it is now, which me. (laughs) He's like, do you not want to go to this thing? You shouldn't. Spoiler from the future. You should not want to go to this thing. And she's like, of course I want to go. Jackie was my best friend. And she's really carrying her around with her, you know? Yeah. She can't let her go. It's like, because for reasons we will definitely get into, she feels... Regretful about the way she handled their relationship, and like she she owes Jackie something. But like I don't I don't care what you did, Shauna. It's not worth putting up with that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know what she expects to achieve, especially Indeed. since she like flat out tells him, "No, you don't have to pay for my daughter's college."
1: Yeah. To uh, why are we here? To um quote a song by the band A Perfect Circle, I'm more than just a little curious how you're planning on. Going about making your amends to the dead.
0: Yeah. They're too dead to know, man.
1: And when you, I'm realizing that when you say that instead of sing it, it sounds very redundant. Yeah. Well, you know, Maynard James Keenan.
0: A lot of things do that. Also, when you're taking advice from the guy from Tool. <laughs> um...
1: I have a Tool reference in the script coming up, so
0: kind of reminds me of that bit in uh, Being John Malkovich where he's like going crazy and he goes to Robert Downey Jr. for advice. It's like, wow. you know you're fucked when you're getting advice from Tiger Blood guy. <laughs>
1: you mean Charlie Sheen? Yeah. Oh, what did I say? Robert Downey Jr. Oh, well,
0: close enough. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was going to say, like, I don't being in that movie. No. Anyway, cut to 1996. Shauna is giving birth with the help of Jackie and Misty, and the whole scene is framed and shot in the musical, makes it seem very surreal and dreamlike. Jackie encourages her to breathe with me. Shauna pushes and gives birth to a seemingly alive rotisserie chicken making baby noises. I love this show, too. I fucking love this show. That's not something you see in every show. No, it isn't. You don't got that in Ted Lasso.
0: What do you think the symbolism behind that is?
1: Oh, I think it's not super complicated. It's just she's both starving and pregnant, so obviously her brain would make that association. She's like, I want this thing out of me and then into my stomach.
0: (laughs) I want to take it out of me just so I can put it straight back in me.
1: Disturbing (laughs) as that sounds. And also, I mean, I hate to even bring this up, but the baby is food? Could be shadowing for something.
0: Yeah, I mean, we know that Callie... Like it turns out to be Callie and No no
1: no no. It's 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 too old to be Callie. because it's twenty five years. She's a complete other child. They do eat
0: the baby, those monsters Well
1: I mean that's the thing. We don't know. Even Melanie Linsky doesn't know. That's one thing she doesn't know. It it's it's like, um does it just miscarry or die of a stillbirth? Or do they eat it or All of the above. Or is it still alive? Does Shauna have a long lost daughter out there somewhere? Or son? Yeah, well. Wouldn't that be fucked?
0: I don't know. That's almost more horrifying than if she ate it.
1: <laughs> I just, ah, oh, I have no idea where this storyline is going and I cannot fucking wait to find out. So Jackie cuts the cord of this chicken creature and says, he's so beautiful, just like his father. Just leaving that there. Shauna tears a wing off her offspring and starts eating it. She wakes up because if this wasn't already obvious, this was a dream. Thank fuck. A very understandable nightmare for a starving pregnant person to have. And the thing is, The thing is about this dream, an easy point to miss in all the craziness of it is that this is not only a fantasy about hunger, it's Shauna's fantasy about Jackie forgiving her. Like, there's a reason there's that line, he's so beautiful, just like his father. This is her living in some nicer world where Jackie is okay with her banging her boyfriend. Mm. Because, you know, Shauna is not always the best person in the universe, but she does genuinely care about Jackie and does feel genuinely guilty that she slopped Jeff a lot. Anyway cut two. uh van and ty being cute in the river at night they are naked and snoogling with each other it is very adorable but oh you want to be careful that's like catnip for lake sharks <laughs> get out Get you gotta get out of there soon not to mention you know utis like you i'm not an expert but I, if you are the owner of a vagina i don't think you should just be like wandering around naked in a dirty lake all sorts of Unpleasants can exist they are playing a cute game where they are drawing words on each other's backs and then have to identify the word and Ty identifies Van's word as boob and she's like are you five
0: <laughs> I write line. what I know I write what I know <laughs> and I know boob
1: I do <laughs> they then switch places and Ty is doing something to Van and he's like is that a word or are you just feeling me up And she's like, concentrate. She's like, you always win anyway. He's like, yeah, why do you think I like to play?
0: Plus, can't it be both? (laughs) (laughs) They
1: have a cute smooch. And Nat looks at Ty's fingernails. He's like, Jesus, treat me like a lady. Ty doesn't know how her fingernails got so dirty. We'll find out later in the episode. Ty starts tickling her. They both laugh. Ty shushes her. Van accuses her of being scared of what other people would think, and Ty's like, nope, just not interested in the drama. Me, aged 15, be like. And Van correctly points out that they're going to find out eventually. You know? Like, I'm... There's part that's going to be here. I think a lot of the team already know that they're a couple. Yeah, And if they didn't before, they're definitely going to find out when they're all living together in an enclosed space for an extended period of time. But then Ty says... Not if we get the hell out of here. Ty would rather risk her life than potentially be vulnerable in front of someone.
0: Yeah, where are you going to go?
1: Well, what you going to do? That's precisely what Van asks. She says they're surrounded by hundreds of miles of woods, and Ty counters. How do you know that for sure? What if there's a town or an outpost or something closer than we think? It's not like we're on an island. Which I'm pretty sure they just put in the script so we would stop comparing the show to Lost. <laughs> See, we're not on an island, so it's totally different. And then Va- Van says, "Ty, if you go tearing off into the woods, how the fuck are you going to survive?" Which is which is true. You know, you can't carry that much food with you.
0: She'll just go full dirt-eating demon and tear whatever's face off.
1: Dirt-eating demon. Very interesting that you say that. Put a pin in that. But <laughs> dirt-eating demon sounds like a hell of a band name. Yeah. And then she says, I don't know, but I know what will happen if we stay. I'll uh, ask you a question, at this point, what do you think of the plan to go south? Do you think it's a good plan or a bad plan? Because, like, there are a lot of risks associated with it. On the other hand, standing around waiting to starve is not particularly good either, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I reckon you've got to make tracks out of there.
1: Yeah, see, I th- the smartest thing would be, in my opinion, would be if they've, like... The whole time there, they were taking shorter reconnaissance trips south, a little bit further every time, to like get the lay of the land. Go for a day's trip and go back in one in like one direction or other to sort of get a map of the land. But also at the same and at the same time, I guess you could say that's a huge waste of energy. Look, it's it's easy for me to Monday morning quarterback the decisions they make, but if I were stranded in the woods, I would be doing worse than them in every way. So you know,
0: there's always that. <laughs>
1: overhead shot of them huggling together it's very cute ty comes back to the attic where she and shauna are still sleeping and she's like where have you been she's like i had to pee you know for like an hour yeah <laughs> don't question it and she's like what is it this time a cheeseburger baby
0: <laughs> which so, is horrific like- yeah
1: so shauna has had multiple versions of this dream and has already told ty about it It's like jesus christ has she given birth to the whole fucking ronald mcdonald gang Careful, careful. Man
0: McCheese is crowning. I mean, you can't imagine it coming out fully exe- assembled and perfect, right? No.
1: Oh, oh, so you think she gives birth to all the individual components of a cheeseburger? And separately. then, like, assembles assemble. it uh, in
0: post. I don't know. Like, even just the mm. bun, like I can imagine it just coming out as some sort like of a sl- amorphous, soggy mess.
1: Okay,
0: okay. We are editing that out, hopefully. Yes. <laughs> Moving on from this topic. No more talk of birthing cheeseburgers now.
1: (laughs) Man, the one guy out there that has that very specific fetish is just loving this (laughs) second episode.
0: Talk about giving birth to
1: the pickle slice. Bizarre diatribe over. Shauna says, what what am I going to do, Ty? She's understandably worried about her situation. She says that she heard Katie Lindstrom, one of the fellow students, did it with the underwire of her bra last year, and then Ty is like, have you lost your mind? You'll die. I love when Ty talks like an outraged Victorian gentleman. (laughs) Like I don't think many teenage girls from the 90s typically said, have you lost your mind? (laughs) But it's totally in character for her. The great thing about this show is that the four main characters are so well defined that any line (laughs) from any of them would sound totally out of place in the mouth of any of the other ones. Yeah. Like when Misty goes, holy macaroni, nobody else could say holy macaroni, you know?
0: Oh, uh, I mean, maybe that chick who blows up.
1: We shouldn't be defining her like that. There was so much <laughs> else to her life. <laughs> anyway, someone is like, I'll probably die either way because they're in the middle of nowhere and the OBGYN on call is Misty fucking quickly, As you pointed out, that is her unofficial middle name. Yep. she so only has Misty's almost medical training to help. Sophie Nellis is amazing in this scene. After some hesitation, Shauna tells Ty that she doesn't want to die having her best friend's boyfriend's baby. Ouch. Ty is the first person she has ever told this to. And Ty just says, Whoa, okay, in response to this. No judgement, no questions, no belittling. I can see why Shauna likes being friends with her, because, like, it's redundant for her to say, you shouldn't have fucked your best friend's boyfriend, because she already knows that, and she's being adequately punished by fate, so you don't need to say that. So that's something... I really appreciate about Ty, like, she has her flaws, but she's not a judgmental friend.
0: Yeah, that's
1: good. <laughs> <laughs> she is sometimes, but not this time. And she says, very, very reasonably, it's not worth dying to keep Jackie from finding out. And she has a plan to head south and find help. And in the meantime, she says to Shauna, promise me you won't do anything stupid. I don't believe such a promise can be reasonably made on this show. No, Shauna so doesn't even respond. if to say, I'm not even going to lie to you and say that I won't. You know I will. Mm-hmm. Cut two. Modern Shauna at Jeff at the worst brunch in the history of humanity <clears throat> with Jackie's parents. Her dad looks like hide the pain Harold. I hate this storyline, and not for the reasons the creators intended. It is one of my pet peeves in fiction, where characters that are opposed to the protagonists are portrayed as like absolute one-dimensional bastards. Like, it's just kind of lazy writing to me that Jackie's mother is this much of a shithead. I don't know. I think there's a way to communicate her passive aggression and resentment of Shauna and Jeff for surviving while also giving her the slightest degree of depth as a character. But it's just my opinion. You know, you can disagree, that's fine. It's
0: like, at a point, I wasn't even sure it was intentional that she kept slagging off Shauna. She (laughs) was just like, she'd, like, say something incredibly offensive and and then then just be, like, look down at her feet, be like, look at the gigantic hole I've dug myself (laughs) into. Better try and dig myself out of it. Oh, no, I'm just deeper in the hole. Exactly.
1: Very, like, (laughs) disingenuous, passive-aggressive backpedaling that doesn't actually prove anything. The four are seated at a table with a photo of Jackie overlooking them, which is one detail of the blocking that I do like. They give Shauna and Jeff a ceramic bunny, which I would appreciate more. I'm a fan of ceramic bunnies. We used to to have some ceramic angel people in the house when I was growing up, and I used to invent bizarre backstories for them and make them fight each other, which I don't think my mum liked. (laughs) Anyway, Jeff reacting to said bunny is amazing. just like, oh, wow. (laughs) And then Jackie's mum says that Jackie just adored rabbits, which, spoiler alert, she didn't. Or if she did at any point, she eventually changed her mind on that. And she's like, Jackie would have been so happy for you. She was generous that way. Apparently, Jackie always worried about Shauna finding someone, which seems to be true, because she was trying to set her up with Randy. And like, Shauna, your life would have gone so much better if you just got with Randy.
0: Yeah.
1: Wouldn't have to cheat on anyone or... Anyway.
0: Maybe she likes it.
1: See, that's the thing. I think she does like to dance close to the fire, as it were. Apparently, according to Jackie's mom, Shauna and Jeff are a better match because they're both the type to be content. You don't want more than what you have. Uh, Shauna is facially close to telling her to fuck off. And then she's like, you just can't be remarkable and raise a family. And like, okay, you know, uh, j- or rather j- Jackie's. Some people is. might
0: say that it is remarkable to raise a family. I,
1: I believe in me. Mean, in and of itself. No, absolutely. Like, I've been recently hanging out with one of my friends who is my age but has two young children. I'm like, wow, how the fuck do you do this? This is your life. I'm so impressed by you. Shorter, but even apart from that, Shorter is definitely remarkable. <laughs> like, she has a lot of bad things, but she's definitely remarkable. You can't take that away from her. Yeah. You know, being a cannibal murderer is remarkable.
0: Yeah, and she wasn't even one of the ones who got cannibalized, which, you know.
1: But, like, if somebody you knew was a cannibal murderer, you'd remark upon it, you know?
0: I reckon you would, eh?
1: And uh, hide the Pain Harold calls Callie special, which, why? (laughs) Is she? And Sona's like, I don't even like my daughter.
0: Isn't everybody special? Or does that mean that nobody's special?
1: (laughs) Okay, Dash from The Incredibles. There's There's a hilarious pause, and Jeff is like, She's kidding. And the rest of the development narrator is like, she isn't. And Jeff says that Callie is 16 going on 30, which is generally what you say when a child is an egregious twat lozenge. Shauna gets a text from Adam, and it says something about this scene when I am begging for Adam to make an appearance in it to rescue it and then they talk about monetary issues facing Shauna and Jeff and Jackie's mom is like Jeff works hard but he's the only one who contributes fuck off Jesus Christ they offer to pay for Callie's college which like that's like the one nice thing they've done but I suspect that is still for a petty reason and Shauna immediately refuses understandably you don't want to be indebted to these people more than you already feel like you are but Jeff is all his facial expression is all like what the fuck why are we here otherwise
0: yeah isn't that the entire (laughs) reason we're here
1: shauna leaves going to the bathroom two past shauna and jackie checking rabbit snares that are unfortunately empty shauna kneels while holding one of the wires a clear invocation of certain imagery and jackie says i never thought i'd be desperate enough to want to eat a rabbit and she's like i mean what even is a rabbit a squirrel with floppy ears and a pom-pom on on its ass like why what even is that (laughs) and shauna's like it's a rabbit what is this question
0: yeah like, it is the thing that it is.
1: <laughs> Why does the Acropolis look round? Because it is.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Why does Stonehenge look so hengey? Because
1: it is. That whole exchange was very Justin and Matthew-esque. And she's like, I'd sell my firstborn for a cheesesteak, which freaks Sean out under those circumstances. I thought it was cheesecake. I thought it was cheesesteak. I, see, I don't know. See, I feel like when I'm really hungry, like in that scenario, I'm not hungry for a sweet thing. Like oh, have...
0: Well, that, that's what I thought. No, at the see, time. no, I yeah, but like,
1: so that that's why she says cheese steak. Like, I don't know. Is there anybody out there who, like, when they haven't eaten for a whole day and they're like working in the field, they're like, oh, I could really go a cheesecake? Like, you know what I mean? What
0: the fuck even is a cheesesteak? <laughs> is it literally just like, you know, someone puts a block of cheese on the grill, melts it down a bit, flips it over? Right, you got your cheese steak.
1: It's a cheesesteak, Matthew. What is this question?
0: Boucher. <laughs> <laughs> I say
1: that as a dodge, because I also don't know. Anyway, uh, she misses Jeff more, She's like the way he'd rub my wrist with his thumb when we were holding hands. That's actually cute. I even miss his stupid Ace Ventura impressions. Of course, of course, Jeff is a Jim Carrey guy. I bet, bet like, even the most mildly weird comedy is, like, too weird for Jeff. Like, you'd put on Carrot Top, he'd be like, oh, this is a bit over my head. (laughs) And then she says, R.E. Jeff, he must be losing his mind by now. And she says that Jeff said he loved her the day before they left. She left out the context of him, like, shredding her vagina as she as he did so. And she didn't say it back. But, like, I think the context is sort of weird that you don't have to say it back, you know? Like, if somebody having to do like, I fucking love you, Jackie. Like, I don't know, to me... And not it personal, but like if I was in such a situation and I was like, I fucking love you, insert name here, I wouldn't feel mad if they didn't respond that way. Because, like, that's... that's
0: Moment of passion.
1: Yeah, that's sex talk. That's not, like, hanging out talk. But, and also, like, if somebody says that they love you and you're not sure if you love them back, you don't ever want to just say you love them back out of obligation. You know? Because, like, that's the cruelest thing to do. Mm-hmm. And this makes Shauna feel guilty, insecure as fuck. Because she's like, oh, no, I was banging that dude. I also made him tell me that he loved me. And then that obviously makes me feel insecure. She's like, wow, he also said that to her. I had to make him say it to me. Oh, fuck, I can never be number one. Oh, poor Shauna.
0: Depressing.
1: Yeah. And she's like, wait, do you love him? And Jackie's like, I don't know. I just shouldn't have made him wait. Jackie just got so caught up in making everything perfect, and now if they die out here, someone else is going to be his first. And Shauna is pained by this because, like, no, actually, I was his first. Ah, uh. and she braces herself against a tree, really not being a fan of this exchange, which is understandable. Jackie asks if she's okay, and Shauna says she's just hungry. Jackie gives Shauna her last skerrick of ambiguous foodage—was deer jerky, perhaps? This is an actually nice moment between them. Spoil a one of their last, and I think they put this scene in here of Jackie. Doing something genuine, genuinely nice for Shauna, just to make her not seem like quite as much of a knob sausage mm. as she seems later in the episode. Because again, I am not a on the Jackie hate train, but there are definite scenes in this episode where it's like, "Oh, you are not being super great."
0: The consensus is certainly um sloping down to a mm. to an action point.
1: Quite. That is
0: to be as unnecessarily vague as I possibly can be.
1: That is both vague and beautifully phrased, my friend. Back in the Plane wreckage, which is an interesting choice. Not what I would do, but whatever. I'm not gonna judge them. Nat and drive them making out. Is that the only way they can get it going anymore?
0: It's, I don't know. I just figured it was the most like, you know, unpopulated space of shelter. Yeah, but it's the place
1: where like. their friends died and their blood is
0: still around it. Yeah, maybe that turns them on.
1: <sighs> That's what I'm saying! If they've been so fucked up by the trip... There's like the Patton Oswalt bit about the song Christmas Shoes where he's like,
0: I can't come unless you fool fooled them! That's what <laughs> Vietnam did to me!
1: And <laughs> <laughs> Fugitive Nat is like, I can't come unless I'm reminded of my teammates burning to death. <laughs> I hope that's not the case because that's horrifying. Yeah, seem to- there,
0: there are some weird people out there, dude.
1: There it? are, and, you know... If you suffer a traumatic experience like that, it'd be more surprising if he didn't have some bizarre fetishes. Anyway, they seem to be having fun, but Nat wants them to slow down a bit because he ends up tickling her. And they nothing is seemingly really happening sexually. And Trav is like, I'm obviously just going to keep screwing this up. Stop being an angsty teen, you know? And then Nat tries to reassure him. is like, who hasn't rolled over a broken tray table while making out in a bloodstained death trap? <laughs> Again, drawing attention to that. Nat is so nice to him. Uh, she says that he's a really good kisser and they're really cute together. This is cute. They stop holding hands as they walk back to camp, like a, a consensus to like keep it a private thing between themselves. People are doing work, such as raking and wood chopping. And everybody starts whistling sexily in the way that teens like to do. Laura Lee does the, ooh, sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G thing. Remember that? That was fun. And Lottie is like...
0: Yeah, I remember that from like grade two. Mm. She
1: is a little behind the times. And Lottie is like... I think they're doing a bit more than kissing. Um, not really. You know, like Laura Lee kind of had it in one. Like, they pretty much are just kissing. And then Mari, of Mari, is like, What are you in Flex hunting for out there anyway? And then Van, amazingly, is like,
0: I hear it's beaver season.
1: <laughs> it's always beaver season in Van's house, baby. Van doesn't actually say it like that. She just goes, I hear it's beaver season, but I couldn't possibly pass up pronouncing it in a bizarre way. And then Nat is like, sit and spin, assholes, but in like an affectionate smiling way and gives them the finger. And it's like some fun banter, some fun making fun of each other's faults, very much like you and me and our friends do to each other. Everybody's having a good time. And Jackie is like, not on my watch, they're not. And walks out and is like, is this why we don't have any food? Because you've been too busy running for the mayor of Poundtown? Town?" That sounds like a UK dollar store.
0: It does, doesn't it? Let's go
1: down to pound town and buy a tin of beans.
0: Everything for a pound. Yeah. That, we're talking about the same thing.
1: <laughs> that uh Ella Pennell, who plays Jackie, might have gone to in her native England. And then Nat is like, uh go fuck yourself. Which is a funny way to respond to Christmas.
0: Yeah, I love the implied question. Yeah.
1: <laughs> go fuck yourself. And he's like, I guess we shouldn't be surprised. Nat's always down for a good time, right? Like, oh sex shame people that's awful and then that reasonably says i can't magically conjure a deer jackie but keep talking shit i'll find something to shoot which is pretty badass She's like oh wow oh you're so tough and they sort of like square up to each other you think they might be about to be some kind of slap fight and then jackie is like i'm not scared of you burn out. and that is like no you're jealous because you're an uptight brutus little bitch and then ty has been walking over gets the middle of them and breaks it up and is like, hey, knock it off, both of you! Which is good. As she did in 2021, earlier in the app. she was the only person in the camp who, like, did anything. Tiger continues used to be awesome. Maybe the others were hoping Nat would actually just shoot her if they didn't
0: interrupt. Um, ty is very much the group moderator she is she? she
1: is she is the person who desires to be in charge and those people in some ways kind of suck but in other ways they are also useful to have around
0: yeah and i feel like even in politics like you mm. know there should be a spot for someone to just come in and be like hey mate you're getting a bit too rowdy here just <laughs> being a bit too mean with the he did that the, and uh, that guy did that you just fucking break it up mate
1: beautiful Travis, also in this scene, Nat's, Nat's, you know, boyfriend, that's that's his lady, was just standing around like a stunned mullet the whole time. Like, defend your spouse, you know? Like, if somebody was fucking squaring up and getting in my partner's face, I would defend them. You know, I would defend them in a de-escalating way, but I would still do something. So here's the thing. Jackie is definitely being a wang nozzle in this scene. However, in fairness, I do sympathize with her perspective, because Nat and Trav the function of their trips out into the woods is not actually to make out, it is to hunt. So I understand that. The problem is that she was excessively aggro about it and was wrong to only criticize Nat when Travis is equally to blame for that. She should have privately and politely spoken to them about it. But like, yeah, anytime they're banging in a plane is time they're not noticing a passing deer or boar or whatever. Are there even boar in Ontario? I don't know. But you know what I mean? Like, She has the kernel of a valid complaint, it's just that the grit of a validity developed into a pearl of obnoxiousness.
0: Yeah. she could use a bit of, um... Tact.
1: Exactly, yeah, uh, yeah. Tact is the stuff. You catch more flies with honey than vinegar. And then Misty, after this is broken up, says, I know how you feel, Nat. I have a secret boyfriend, too. And Nat is just kind of nonplussed by this and wanders off. And it's a good thing no one really pays attention to Misty because it's...
0: It's pretty obvious who she means. Mm, yeah, there's it only literally two males. Well, three if you count Harvey, which you shouldn't. No,
1: yeah, you're right. And somehow people do never seem to count him. No. Cut to the present. Ty is on the phone with someone at the bank who won't let her withdraw money because she doesn't have Simone's signature. I thought, wouldn't it be really funny if this was the lady who worked at the bank from episode three? It was like, I'm sorry I can't do that. <laughs> it was like, well, now that my job being, in it, being a patronizingly unhelpful person at the hotel has fallen through, I should do it at a bank instead. <laughs> and Ty is like, she's haunting us. I Maybe mean, that lady is the blackmailer. Anyway. Uh, she doesn't have Simone's signature. She has one of those account types where they both need to do it. I bet I bet you regret setting that up, huh, Ty? Yeah. When you did that, you probably never thought you'd need to pay off a blackmailer. And Simone walks into the room. Ty asks Sammy and Biscuit to go play in his room so she can fight with Simone. Lol, this is just their marriage. My parents weren't that fancy about it. They just happily fight in front of me. <laughs> Not like fight, fight. They would have disagreements in front of me. Ty apologizes to Simone in an unhelpfully playful tone of voice. And Simone says that they're taking Sammy to see a child psychologist, which is understandable. And so I was like, how could you do that without telling me? And Simone's like, are you for real right now? Like, oh, I did something without telling you? Oh, wouldn't that suck? I wonder what that would be like. She's like, where did you go last night? And she's getting really angry. She's like, the woman I saw there was not the woman that I married. It's like, oh, oh, Simone, it was. It was. In fact, I think that might have been the only time it truly was her. Like this, the life you've built together, the suburbia, the mom's life, that's not her. The brutal quest for power, that's her, for better or for worse. She may not like it, she might try and fight it, but that's That's her.
0: Getting that dirt in her guts, that's her.
1: Literally and metaphorically. Ty says that she planned to drop out and planned to do so when she first got out there, but she tries to spin it as something that she did for Simone and Sammy. She says, this is not just my dream, this is
0: our dream.
1: And she sounds almost contemptuous, lol. And says that giving
0: up and like on- she's also kind of questioning herself, yeah. making herself believe it. I think she
1: is. And she's like, uh, giving up on it felt like giving up on us, which is obviously a BS justification. And Simone is like, three o'clock, our son needs help. And if this is really about us, you will fucking be there. It's like, oh my God, I love Simone so much. I'm sorry, dude. Like, you really drew the short straw in this show in terms of the sh- shit you have to deal with. Like, sorry, dude shauna also in the present enters jackie's room which has been kept immaculate it's very white and pink girly i want to say this is a different room than the one she had in the pilot but i could be wrong about that adam has texted shauna saying he misses her she doesn't reply yet shauna opens jackie's diary her favorite tunes include the spice girls wannabe and smashing pumpkins 1979 which probably not appealing to you very much
0: no Although, you know, one of our friends did say that I'm, I've am i been a bit closed off to the 90s bangers <laughs> genre, Isn't and it? I said something like, oh, to be a 90s banger, does it have to resemble a sausage? <laughs> a very old sausage
1: oh that's terrible
0: i know in an
1: amazing way and then her favorite movies include the bird cage and jumanji have you seen either
0: of those i have seen jumanji it was okay hasn't there been like several reboots of that unfortunately
1: yes uh the, have you seen any of those yes i didn't think they were very good the bird cage is a movie about robin williams oh i've yeah. seen
0: that also and okay. it's got that guy who played the cat in nathan, Stuart little yes, nathan lane yeah yeah he's very
1: good He's great in the movie, but the movie is kind of... The son is such an unreasonable twat in that movie. He's like, oh, could you guys pretend to not be gay for my girlfriend's parents? It's like, that's dumb. Anyway, it's, it's an enjoyable movie. I just can't really get down to it.
0: Yeah, it's it, it was very sort of Hollywoodized.
1: Shauna sees on the bed a flashback of younger Shauna and Jackie rehearsing Shauna approaching Jeff on Jackie's behalf. Which, oh, uh, Shauna says, Your friend Randy told me that you asked him to ask me to ask Jackie if she likes you. Let me just get my abacus out so I can understand that. (laughs) This is very, like, dumb, overcomplicated teenage stuff. I used to do stuff like this. And Jackie doesn't want Jeff to think that she's, like, pining over him or whatever. And then Sean is like, oh, do you, like, like like him? The three consecutive likes is like, oh, my God, Jackie, why didn't you tell me? It's actually a really cute little scene. And Melanie Linsky looks amazingly both happy and regretful watching this. And now I want to get into this. One of the movie characters that Jackie says she would be in her diary is from Bring It On, a movie that came out in 2000. And yet we know she died in 96. So what the hell?
0: That's weird, dude.
1: I think the creators have said that somebody else wrote it in there, but we don't know yet. It's interesting that she also says the movie character she would be is Sydney from Scream, which is, of course, the girl that survives, which, of course, she isn't. Fun fact, Jasmine boy Brown, who plays Ty, is in the new Scream. It's actually very good. I think if we... Take it as read that Shauna wrote these in there. Then I think that's really interesting that she's fantasizing about Jackie identifying with the characters that survived and wanting to live in a world where Jackie survived. That's kind of beautiful in a weird way. And then Shauna sees Jackie on the bed talking to her as a teen. And she's like, it's not your fault. What happened? And Shauna's like, I know. And Jackie is like, actually, you don't know. It's totally your fault. But we were teens. And it was awful. This could refer to Shauna banging and being fecundated by Jeff, or it could refer to something that happens in episode 10. And then Shauna's like, why are you here? And Jackie's like, why are you here? It's like, yeah, this is her room. (laughs) You know, where else should her ghost reside? Jeff appears to rescue her. He's like, you left me all alone down there, a prospect I would find utterly horrific. Like, don't fucking leave me alone with those pricks. And she's like, do you ever wish... She trails off. There are several things she could mean, but a scene in the, later in the ep gives some context that she probably means, do you ever wish that Jackie made it back and not me? But she doesn't say this. Jeff says, do you want to go? We can leave if you want. Yes, yes, go. Fuck. Is this a whole thing a form of penance for Shauna? Uh, my Elizabeth Bowen heads out there that have read the novel The House in Paris, she parallels a lot with the character of Naomi from that uh, character who is either selfless or self-harming. <laughs> depending on which way you interpret it. And then Shauna's like, we just have to make it through dessert. Cut to said dessert, where Jackie's mom is like, to Jackie, whose light shone too bright to ever be extinguished from our memories. She looks up to the heavens and goes, happy birthday, baby. It's like a genuinely emotional line and the one moment where she seems like a character as opposed to a caricature. And then she, not to be outdone, continues being a twat, is like, it can't always have been easy for you, Shana. Jackie was just so gifted which reminds me of the Calvin and Hobbes strip, where he's like, I asked my dad if I were a gifted child and he replied, well, we certainly wouldn't have paid for you.
0: (laughs) Burn. And he's
1: like, I can't imagine how exhausting it must have been always comparing yourself to someone so beautiful and smart. It's like, do you just invite her over once a year to passive-aggressively snipe at her? Coach Martinez would be proud, for one thing. That's how we do it. And then Jeff defends her and says, Shauna got into Brown. She's the smartest person I've ever met. And before you think that sounds impressive, Jeff has met maybe five people. He's like, Sha and I were sleeping together when Jackie and I were still a couple. Her parents look understandably horrified at this information. Which is obviously, you know, a shitty thing. But there it is. Because the truth is, Jackie was amazing, but so is my damn wife. And she still is. I may have been an idiot then. But at least I was smart enough to see that. And I'm really glad that he was defending Shauna here, but I don't know that he needed to drag Jackie's name through the mud in order to do it. My partner would disagree with me here. They're all about radical honesty. That would be all like, no, always tell the truth. Sure. And an ethical distinction. Also, tuna quiche. I've, in several other podcasts and reviews and thoughts on this episode, people have described tuna quiche as a disgusting concept. What do you sit on that?
0: I mean, I'm not really sure. I've never eaten a tuna quiche. No, I'm not, really. I'm, mm. I,
1: I'm not a meat eater, so I have no real... i think like, uh like,
0: salmon fish pies. And that's mm. sort of a similar concept. It's like a pie made of fish with, like, cheese in it. And, you know, a tuna quiche is basically just tuna and eggs, right? And mm. a pie. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I reckon if you season it okay, it'd probably be alright. They'd probably fuck it up, but I think as a general concept, like, you probably could pull it off, but... Oh. Nice to hear. Some, I mean, nice I've to hear some. never eaten it, sure. so you know, take that with a grain of salt.
1: Which would help the flavour?
0: Yeah, more than likely.
1: <laughs> Cut two. A psychologist observing Sammy through a two-way room mirror, along with Ty and Simone, which made me think this was some sort of weird market research thing as well. Oh, after we psychologically analyse you, Sammy, could you try these various goguts and see how you react? <laughs> and what it, is a gogut? You know, it's like a. Slurp. It's like a slurpy gut.
0: Is it like a a yogurt in a little thing that yeah. you slurp? Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, there you go.
1: Apparently, Sammy could have any number of conditions. Psychogenic fugue, dissociative amnesia. It'll take more sessions to get a firm grasp on what's going on, the person says. Simone scowls at Ty for looking at a text she got, a fairly obvious metaphor for her being trapped in the in the world of work and her own business over the family. It's like the cliche I've seen in the movie of the 80s business dad throwing his mobile phone into the water after realizing that family is what's more important. (laughs) Which, like, wow, is destroying the environment also what's more important, dude? Anyway. Apparently. Simone is in the backseat of their car with headphones on. The blocking is a deliberate callback to Lottie from before. But because he's got headphones on, he can't use his psychic powers. And then Simone is like, any thoughts on what the doctor had to say? Or were you too busy checking your inbox? This is the sort of thing where, like, It probably wouldn't annoy Simone if not for the other shit Ty has been pulling, but when you're pissed off at someone, like, everything they do sort of sets you off. And Ty's response of, oh, wow, is like, "Uh, Ty, I don't think you're in an oh, wow sort of position with Simone (laughs) right now. And apparently Sammy doesn't remember any of the things that he was accused of by them. Spoiler alert, that's because he didn't actually do them. He's not actually crazy. Someone else is doing all of that shit and framing him for it. Well... He might be a bit crazy, but not in the way that they think. He's just a poor Probably man. just because
0: his mum's gaslighting him. In
1: good usage of that word. Anyway. Ty says that shrinks make their living off problems that don't get solved, which I I partially agree with her. Like we all I think we've all experienced some person like that who you pay to help you, but they string you along so they can get more money out of you. Well, I don't know, maybe not everyone, but many people have experienced that. A psychologist would have a field day with Ty's brain, it must be said the things they discover in there. And Simone's like, you know, for someone who went through some shit of their own, it never ceases to amaze me how shut off you are to help. It's like, A, that's the only time Simone even mentions Ty's time in the woods, so we know that Ty just doesn't talk about it and wants to put it behind her. B, wrong way around, Simone. That's why she's so shut off to help, is because of all the horrible shit she went through. I don't think... Look, psychology contains some wisdom and validity but i think some people believe in it too literally i guess is my opinion on the matter and ty's all like psychogenic this dissipated that beyond all the jargon did she actually have any fixes which is that's very ty she's very the concrete practicalist she wants a concrete real world solution immediately and anything that is woo woo conceptual stuff she has no time for
0: yeah well, a lot of people think psychology is just a one size fits all that can just fix anybody's problems yeah you also kind of have to believe in it,
1: for no, it to work that's true <clears throat> simone says that sammy's behavior stems from overwhelming stress and that part i do believe and ty is just like for fuck's sake <laughs> and she's like sammy is not okay ty i don't know how or why but we're his moms and we have to do better simone is a very good parent and spouse i love ty you guys all know i love ty but objectively speaking simone should take sammy and run to the hills Ty almost hits a cyclist. They're both very freaked out. That's why you don't put headphones in your potentially psychic child. He could have warned you. Very Lynchian music plays. Well,
0: you give him bike headphones. Well, oh, you
1: give him bike headphones. Yeah. Very Lynchian music plays as the cyclist guy flips them off and rides away. Cut back to the past. Travis enters the cabin, and oh god, I love this scene. I love this scene, dude. This is like the only scene in the show of just two guys hanging out and talking to each other. Travis gets some bullets from the jars. Coach Ben appears, saying he wishes to talk with Travis. And in a rather skeptical manner, Travis is like, okay.
0: <laughs>
1: and Coach Ben is like, listen, girls I like to talk, right? So I've heard a few things. He's like, yeah? Like what? Being questioned on his sex life is presumably a new phenomenon for Travis, so he's going to enjoy it while he can. And Coach just kind of cuts the chase and is like, look, whatever is up between you and Natalie is your business, okay? But where it could become our business is if, and he just sort of gets frustrated and goes, but the last fucking thing we need out here right now is a baby to take care of. Not to mention the risk to Natalie. And it's the dramatic irony throughout the scene is that he's saying all these things that are like, ah, you don't know that you do actually have a pregnant chick among your number? I, I love Coach Ben so much, dude. He's just out here trying to wrangle all of these horrible, crazy teens into something resembling an orderly society. Like,
0: you, somebody's got to do could, it.
1: Could you imagine, though, if you were down to one leg and you were starving and alone in a shack in the middle of nowhere and you and had, yet
0: everybody is still yes. literally looking f- to you for advice. Yeah,
1: and you had to fucking
0: wrangle a bunch of hormonal crazy teenagers. Yeah, you'd be a bit out of your depth, eh? Yeah,
1: I'd just be like, no... I'm fucking checking out of life. You guys can fake this shit out on your own. But he doesn't do that because he's a great guy.
0: But then, in that ultimate act of selfishness, you condemn several, I don't know, umpteen people mm. to die That's without true. any guidance.
1: That's true. That's so, true. you
0: know, you've you got to weigh these things up.
1: He's a good man. And Brav is like, I got it covered, coach. And though he does not elaborate, he means he has it covered because he can't sustain a chop. And then the coach is like, do you? I mean, like, literally? Could the pullout method? It sucks. Only 78% effective. And he's like, if 22% of your players couldn't make it onto the field, would you really want to play that game? Like, Travis is fairly nonplussed by this, which it's no wonder, because he doesn't give a shit about sport. His dad likes sport, and he hates it. Not that I would know anything about that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so to cut it short, he's basically just like, to stop using a bunch of obscene metaphors, here's a ream of condoms. Right.
1: <laughs> what coach should have said is if twenty two percent of the members of corn or tool or system of a down couldn't make it to the stage, would you want to see that show? You know? I mean if the twenty- I
0: didn't before. Okay.
1: You know Travis gets down to like corn, puddle of mud, edema, mud vein, uh pearl jam, P- pan terrible.
0: I wa- yes, a vulgar display of flour Quite. Um yeah, no, it, uh, I was his age once. I hmm. I remember what it was like to listen to music the funny thing is when, when
1: i was travis's age even though even though that was like 15 years after 1996 i still listened to the same music that came out in 1996 yeah, it's
0: weird it's like yeah. when you're a certain age you just by no, definition absolutely. have to listen to a certain time just type getting down music.
1: to like corn disturbed your anthrax anyway fucking irrelevant digression coach hands him the condoms travis is like weren't we only gonna be in seattle for like a week who are you he was like yeah you know what travis that's really not your business he's like I think you just kind of made it my business. Travis is clearly enjoying this. He's like,
0: it's the Boy Scout rule. Always, <laughs> always be prepared.
1: Like, Jesus Christ. You
0: never man. know how many bitches you're going to fuck oh, well, when you're uh, spending a week in quite. wherever.
1: And Travis takes him and walks off, and he's like, oh, fuck me. Just, Coach Ben, you'll get your reward in heaven, as my nan would say. 2021, Nat is cleaning her rifle. She receives a call from Ty. Ty can't get the money. Nat is like, you're supposed to be the rich one, which is funny. She's like, I'm going through some shit with my family right now. My wife and I aren't really in a place where I can ask her to co-sign and withdraw 50 grand. So I like that Nat doesn't press her on this point. Like, she doesn't ask why. She doesn't demand more details. She's just like, fine, I'll get it. That That's good. Nat knows that, like, she doesn't like other people poking into her business. And I'm she... going to
0: rob a gas station with a dead cat. <laughs> I don't like fucking smart kids. If that's all there We're stuffed. <laughs>
1: one of those deliciously fattening chocolate eclairs <laughs> listen if you haven't seen the movie bad boy bobby fucking see it like it's on at least australian netflix maybe not american netflix just, just... well maybe
0: don't you might be scarred no, for life no but...
1: even if you're scarred for life still see it it is one of the greatest movies ever made <laughs> now so i was like how are you gonna sell your soul He's like just be ready when this fuck attacks again okay Some children are playing in the background of the motel yard as Nat walks to her car. I think that's interesting. Um, Nat, I think, would be a pretty good mum. You know, because she can put up with, as we see with Misty, she can put up with other people's shit, which is a very necessary quality to be a parent. And I think often when she sees that, she's like, wow, is that the life I could have had if I'd never crashed and never become a Charles Bukowski-esque roving drug addict? And then a wild Kevin appears. He drives up listening to the song Munich by the editors. They're sort of like Diet Interpol. Okay. Oh, you know how the song is like. That's why I hold you near. That's why you don't know that one.
0: Uh, I'm not sure if it's just your rendition or.
1: Okay, Mrs. Rossi, and she's like, "What are you doing here?" And he's like, "Thought you might be hungry." Like, Kevin, that's a weird thing to spring on someone. Like, you don't know what they're in the mood for. You don't just get some random food and then. I don't know. Maybe he remembers what she likes, and then she's like. I got stuff to do. He's like, I got time. Uh, And she's like, follow me. Nat sells her Porsche to a dealer. Kevin asks her why she sold it. And then she says, I was a different person back when I brought it. And then he says that he has something to do. His ex just called. I can totally drop you off unless you want to return the favor. Silly odd way of framing that, but I get it. Cut to the past. The old jackets are sleeping. The camera pans over Lottie. She wakes up. Creepily suspenseful music is playing like a... Noises. She grabs a lantern and walks outside to discover Ty crouched on the ground and enthusiastically eating dirt with a crazed animalistic expression in her eyes. One of the best and most fucked up scenes of the episode. She does
0: love to eat a bit of dirt, that lady, doesn't she?
1: Cut to Shona and Jeff driving home after the brunch from hell. Despite my grievances with the subplot up to this point, I really liked this scene. Jeff says, I don't wish I'd married Jackie. I don't wish things were different. I I should hope you do wish some things were different, Jeff. I should hope you wish that your wife never had to murder and eat her friends. <laughs> Shauna looks at him skeptically and he's like, it's not like I've never thought about it, but we've made a life together, Shauna. And no, it, it's not perfect. It's not what either of us thought it was going to be. And she's like, you think? <laughs> and they both smile cutely at each other. And he's like, I have no regrets. How we started out, it, it wasn't our finest moment or anything. For Christ's sake, we were kids, Shauna. And she's like, yeah, that doesn't make it right. Which, which it doesn't, you know? Like, it's still really fucked up. And that's why the shadow of Jackie will always be over their relationship. And he says that Jackie was going to break up with me anyway. I was the high school boyfriend. That's all I was ever going to be. Do you think he's right there? Or do you think they would have, like, gotten married out of obligation?
0: I mean, some people have relationships that began in high school yeah. that persist for 20 years or more.
1: This is funny. Jeff is like, you and me, we... Well, we built it. We're still together. <laughs> he was like circling through things he could say, but the most thing he would say is we're still together. Cut two some children playing soccer. A young lad misses the goalposts by like several meters. Kevin cheers him on anyway. Oh, the people that hate participation trophies would be like, you shouldn't cheer him on when he fucks up. You know, that only devalues it when he does well, but I'm not a parent. So I don't know who's right there. And he's like, looking good out there, Mace. Mace is "In Mace window, What the fuck? Remember that dude?
0: Mason?
1: Spoiler alert, it is that. Oh. <laughs> Reminds me of the dude in Skyrim named Maul, which fucking rules.
0: What, like, Maul as in the blunted? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Oh. He's like, where's mom? And then he's like, she got stuck at work, so now you're stuck with me. He introduces Nat as uh, a friend of his. He's like, I've oh, known no, her since I was your age. Natalie was on the team that won the state championship. Uh, maybe not the best thing to bring up, Kevin. Mace seems very impressed by this, and he asks if they went to nationals, and Nat is like, we never actually made it. He's like, why? Did you get hurt? And Kevin tells him to get back out there When as, after the awkward silence that ensues after. He's like, dude, you brought it up! <laughs> and before he does so, Nat advises Mace that the other team's sweeper is really weak on the right, so run directly at him, faint left, when he turns his hips, cut hard in the other direction. This is, apparently, nonsense to football heads. Uh, Any listeners we have that are football heads, can you confirm this is nonsense? And this approach appears to work. He manages to score a goal. Nat is like, yes! She starts cheering adorably at them. Ominous music starts playing as the soccer playing seems to give Nat a flashback to her youth. And she begins to be quite uncomfortable indeed. Cut two tie in the past in the attic. She discovers a discarded boob holster whose underwire has been removed and puts two and two together. She rushes out of the room and she rushes outside and sees Lottie. He's like, "Lottie, have you seen Shauna?" And she's like, "I was like, Lottie, have you? I think she went that way." And she's like, "Wait, were you outside last night eating dirt?" <laughs> a rather alarming question to be asked, to which Ty responds, "What the actual fuck?"
0: No, I can imagine if she was just like, "Yes, but we have more important matters yes. to deal with."
1: <laughs> to misquote Death Cab, "You're damn right, but we can't talk about it now." She's like, just just keep that between ourselves for now. She's like, "Yeah,
0: okay. put a pin in that." <laughs>
1: and she says as she's running off she says i cannot do crazy right now lot and as understandable as this reaction is from ty because she is more concerned with helping her friend you know than lottie's feelings one imagines it's a bit hurtful to lottie to be constantly called crazy it's laura lee inside the cabin sweeping like some adorable trad wife and lottie is just like cheese and rice you scared me which is a cute one cheese and rice doesn't sound very appetizing if those are the only two things that you have anyway she wants to ask loralee something about god and she's like i think i'm seeing things In the bible people had visions right and loralee is like i was taught visions were god's way of communicating they could either be a warning or a revelation and she's like but how did they know they weren't crazy and she says because god gave them faith Laura Lee describes faith as the evidence for things unseen and the substance of things hoped for. And, like, I'm sorry, Laura Lee, merely wanting something to be true doesn't seem like sufficient evidence for it being true from where I'm standing. Like, I wish it were true that the winds of winter would come out, (laughs) but it hasn't. And then Laura Lee says, they knew it because they believed it, which is kind of a terrible precedent, I have to say. And I think that attitude of knowing something because you believe it. Won't lead Laura Lee anywhere good. She says, Jesus wants us to do the right thing in the world. If you accept him into your heart, he'll help you discern the true from the false. It's funny, when I was a child and I believed in God, I literally thought that I could communicate with him if I tried hard enough. Like, I thought that religious people I knew were habitually hearing the literal voice of God literally in their ears, and that I could too if I really made an effort. I was disappointed when I realized that they were speaking metaphorically.
0: Hmm. I feel like there's a lot about religion that's kind of like that.
1: Yeah, mm. I I think I'm just, as I've said before, I have nothing against people that are religious, you know, believe whatever you want. I just, I think I'm the wrong kind of personality to believe in it because I want certain proof and that kind of flies in the face of the whole faith thing.
0: Yeah, and you reckon if you just randomly started speaking in tongues or what have you that you'd be more on the side of the camp that's like oh god i've gone crazy rather than you know oh i've found a link to divinity
1: i think i would be more on the camp that i've gone crazy and i would in lottie's place i would be asking misty if she could find me some antipsychotic mushrooms mm. anyway
0: perform a jungle Tr- <laughs> maybe
1: not quite that drastic <laughs> lottie asks how does she accept him into her heart and laura lee says i have an idea lottie's body language in this whole scene seems kind of doubtful, like she's not disagreeing with what Loralee says, but she is kind of like, seemingly doesn't seem to fully accept it, or at least I interpret it that way. The creepy music is playing, oh fuck me this scene, oh fuck this fucking scene, dude. Ty is running through the woods searching for Shauna, and we cut to Shauna unzipping her backpack, getting stuff out of it, a towel, some pads, the aforementioned sea breeze astringent, which, man, that turned out to be useful wide shot of Laura Lee stripping off Lottie's clothes the people who shipped them together must have had a field day with that scene, and putting some sort of nightgown on her she then leads Laura Lee out into the lake As a really beautiful shot of Lottie looking uncertain as Laura Lee turns around to face her with an enigmatically untroubled expression, very hashtag aesthetic, as the kids used to say Shauna is heating up the wire with a lighter, and Ty is running towards her, the weird strings music is intensifying as Ty arrives She doesn't try to persuade Shauna out of performing an abortion on herself. She merely says, you're not going to do this alone, okay? She just immediately wants to help her. Music starts playing. And Ty begins to, I'm not going to describe this in great detail, but you can put two and two together, begins to insert the aperture. Shauna begins screaming in pain, goes, stop, stop, take it out, take it out, take it out. And they're both weeping and screaming and crying and holding each other. And Shauna just keeps saying, I can't do it. She just keeps saying, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. That's maybe the purest expression of what it is to be a human. I don't want to die. The actress has absolutely crushed this scene. Again, Misty could have... You should have gone to her. She would have been able to do this properly. She would have known some mushroom abortificants. Cut to Lottie and Loralee, and Loralee is saying, Dear Heavenly Father, please accept Lottie into your loving embrace. Lottie doesn't seem entirely sure about this. Uh, Lee dunks her. The music is still going. Cool shot of her floating treepily in the water. Lottie sees herself walking down the corridors of a strange underground facility. Some sort of mining office or research station? It seems damp, certainly. She sees the horribly CG'd deer within it. She walks up some stairs and sees some lit candles lining the sides. She lights one and blows out the lighter thingy. Looking really cool as she does so. Matthew, do you think we'll see this location again, or is this just a one-off thing?
0: Well, I think we will.
1: Mm, no, I, I do too. Because just Next
0: seems- season sometime.
1: I, I do too. I have some theories about that. Once we're done with the season, we can get into like our theories and predictions, but I have some definite theories about this location. She comes to, looks up through the water, and sees a terrifying light, and what is, if you really look at it, unmistakably an explosion behind Laura Lee's head that blots out her image into darkness. She panics and surfaces, breathing heavily. She's like, I saw fire and light. Excitedly, Laura Lee is like, that's the Holy Spirit. Maybe you should have been a little more specific here, Lottie. You know, you see an explosion in the sky above the lake, like that might have been a good thing to mention. I mean, it's easy for me to Monday morning quarterback about that. It's very difficult to interpret visions. But yeah, she could have, that could be a vision, or it could just be her putting two together based on the fact that Laura Lee already wanted to fly the plane.
0: Mm. Your brain can do some pretty stunning uh, arithmetic in those uh, sort of moments.
1: It absolutely can. What I love about this, is that Lottie comes to take the message from this, of believing that her visions are real and that she is chosen, but she takes the exact wrong message from it, that from Loralee would want her to, one that she would strongly disagree with. And here's the thing. In the previous episode, Loralee thought that Lottie was demonically possessed. Would she really go from that to thinking that she was having visions from God? I mean, I suppose she did exercise her, so she's fine now, but I don't know. It's She seems to turn on a dime a bit for me, a little too much, but I guess you could understand why you'd want to guide someone along the right path. Well, from her perspective, the right path. Cut two. Nat smoking outside the game as Kevin approaches her. He informs her that they won. And that move you gave Mason, clenched it. Mason, right? Not Masons in window. Apparently that move never worked for Natalie. Mason left to get some Zara and that is like,
0: like, oh, keep him away
1: from the crazy lady, huh? And then Kevin is like, I don't think you're crazy. You've been through a lot. And that's okay with me.
0: Why do you give all of the male characters Christian Bale voice? (laughs) That's how he sounds.
1: I love Kevin. Kevin's a great guy. They hold hands. Cut to Nat and Trav making out in the death plane, both shirtless. Nat then begins giggling because Travis's face was so serious. Lol, really can't land the plane on this one. Uh, No pun intended. He seems a bit frustrated. A condom packet falls out of his pocket. Nat asks him if he wants to take it to the next level. He says he didn't mean to. She smiles adorably at him and is like, it's okay. I love these crazy kids. They start making out, but Travis stops her to ask, what number would I be? She's like, are you serious right now? He just wants to know, dot, 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 Nat finishes, if I'm a slut, which reminds me of the Red Hot Chili Peppers song, you know, Other Side. And then Nat is like, uh, Nat informs him that someone named Jason Russo screwed half the girls on the volleyball team. What does that make him? I want to see the show about the volleyball team. Do they resent the soccer team's success? I just want to watch a show that them just doing normal, goofy teen shit. Come to that. I also want to watch that for the regular. YJs. Travis responds, he's a dude. Like, nah, Travis, that's precisely the hypocrisy she's calling attention to. And he's not the one with his hand on Travis's pants. Nat says that he doesn't get to judge her. The 50s called. They want your dumbass attitude back. Our vaginas have, like, monologues now. Which is a reference (laughs) to the flight of vagina monologues. Matthew, do you know anything about that?
0: No, I don't, but I, th- I, I think it's got uh less to do with the vaginas actually speaking than See, she seemed so, to apply.
1: That's the thing. That's what I thought it was my whole life. I thought it was a series of speeches from the perspective of vaginas and and then the penis went into me and then it went out of me again and then it went into me again.
0: Oh, what an awful to do.
1: Why? I literally thought that's what it was my whole <laughs> life, and then the other day my partner was like, No, that's not what it was.
0: Well, the more you know. Ow-
1: okay, I wanna <laughs> I wanna ask your friend on this. Nat has this whole speech where she's like, Newsflash, girls like to do stuff too. You don't have a monopoly on that. Why is it your job to want it and my job to say no? Who made up that stupid fucking rule? And like, okay, disclaimer, I'm a guy, so I, I don't know what that's like. Take my opinion with a grain of salt. But I don't really buy this, because like, I agree with the content, but the delivery of that felt a bit too modern. And I don't think Nat would phrase it in such an articulate and soundbite way. Also, I don't think she'd have heard of the vagina monologues.
0: No. But, like... I mean, like, it's kind of like that thing, like, I can understand not having seen (laughs) a cop, but to not have heard a cop.
1: Travis apologizes. Nat asks how many girls he's been with. He declines to respond. She presses him, and he responds, because it's none, okay? And, like, Travis is a very good-looking dude. I don't buy that, like, he would have offers, at least. I think it would be the sort of thing where, like, a girl would invite him to go study with her and he would think that she literally just meant to study, you know? Well, And like five years later, he'd be like, oh, she wanted to have sex with me. (laughs) Uh, See, that's the thing. I think deep down underneath all of his layers of protective douchebaggery, Travis is a romantic and he wants his first time to be special and with someone he truly loves. He'd never admit this and he would call that sentiment gay, probably, if anybody expressed it, but that's who he really is. And in light of later events, oh aww Nat says she's only been with two guys Levi Hauser, sophomore year and this guy she met as a show last summer he was older and I was kind of fucked up and it wasn't great apparently yeah that sounds pretty bad no matter what Jackie says it means something to me Travis, it really means something especially with you man that comment before from Jackie really got onto her skin again in light of late developments fuck they start making out again. Travis asks her to stop, this time because a deer strides by the cabin. He tells her to grab the gun. Cut to modern Misty in her basement. She is watching Nat and Kev undress and flirt with each other. I feel like this point is often lost in Misty's other general craziness, but Jesus fucking Christ, that is such a reprehensible thing to do. That would be an instant cutoff for me. Misty is preparing some kind of drug cocktail. She pauses to examine Jessica's business card and calls her. Jessica is like, Misty, Quigley, you call at last. Apparently her plan isn't working. Misty informs her, and she could help. Meet me tonight. Colmar in Maine. I'll be waiting in a... Jessica drops her to say, Hospital Green Fiat. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar. Misty told her not to underestimate her, and yet she still is. Cut to Shauna looking at her phone. Adam, like quadruple, texted her. Ouch, dude. He posts a picture of all his clothes on the floor. Adam is the dictionary definition of a male thought shauna seems to be weighing things up in light of her realizations about her and jeff's relationship he appears and says he has to go back to the store tonight inventory database still giving you trouble she asks shauna offers to come with and he's like oh it's gonna be pretty boring why don't you get a jump on your book club (laughs) yeah i'll find something to do she says adam is like i'm something well (laughs) she texts adam telling him to lie face down on the floor of course The Phantom of the Opera theme is playing as Misty waits in her car with a very grand and bombastic song. Jessica gets in the vehicle with her. And she's like, so what made you want to?" Misty injects her in the leg and she falls unconscious because, duh, I love Misty's deranged expression as she injects her and Jessica is vaguely uncomprehending accusatory glare as she does so. Not a lot of Misty, adult Misty in this episode, but the ending makes up for that. I would not do that in a million fucking years, I would have a similar-looking decoy to myself. She would drug her decoy, and then I'd ring her and be like, nice try. That's what i do. Of course, that job's a bit of a tough sell. <laughs> Cut to Jessica waking up chained to the bed in Misty's basement with duct tape over her mouth. <clears throat> Rekha Sharma does some amazing freaking-out muffled noises, which is not an easy skill for an actor to master. Pan up to Misty at the top of the stairs, looking creepy. She's like, "Good night. Sleep tight. Don't let the fact that you're a terrible person keep you up at night. Kind of a unwieldy line but also something misty would say good scene good scene cut back to the past the yellow jackets are hanging around the fire outside shauna and ty return from the forest probably glad that everyone's attention is suddenly distracted by nat and trav returning with a dead deer and van is like oh my god meat fuck yeah the antlers are fucked up and bloody that thing is gnarly she opines akila says it's like Freddy Krueger and Bambi had a baby, which sounds like a horrifying fanfic that would be covered on our network mates podcast and then they fucked, which is a podcast about bizarre, horrifying fan fiction.
0: Might have checked that one out.
1: It's great, actually. Harvey says he's not eating that. And then Coach Ben is like, Relax, guys. Do you share their antlers every season? This is normal. Shauna, do the honors. Shauna cuts it open to discover the inside is filled with gross maggots. Now. The spendthrift in me, the cheap bastard in me, thinks, maybe you could just cut off the bad part, and it'd be good. But, like, probably not, eh? And also, I thought you could have boiled the mags and eaten them, but maybe they're not that desperate.
0: Van. Hey, it's like 80% protein. True. Like, yeah, you should've... know, insects are full of more protein than the thing they actually killed, so, you know, maybe it balances out.
1: Should have just done that. Van has to go away to vomit. First, Ali's leg. Now, Coach Ben's amputation. Now, this, yeah... She has a lot of things that make her want to vomit. Shauna, like, reaches in and grabs some maggots and then is like, ugh, and shakes them off.
0: Girl, no one made you do that.
1: (laughs) You were able to confirm from the visual alone that the maggots were in fact present.
0: Maybe she was just like, you know, doing it for the benefit of people on the other side of the (laughs) carcass.
1: See, see? (laughs) Well, now there's mags over here too. Uh, Shauna is completely unhinged and that's why I love her. And Jackie is like, that normal too, coach. Valid yet snarky point from the Jackster. Lottie, seeing this and seeing the deal with the fucked up antlers, is like, I'm not crazy. And Laura Lee says, no, you have a gift. Not mutually exclusive, double L. Ty detects a great opportunity for some soapboxing. She's like, we cannot keep fucking doing this, you guys. Amazing line reading from Jasmine Savoy. She uh, kills this scene, I have to say. What happens when winter gets here? We fucking starve or freeze to death? We can't count on getting rescued anymore. All of us know that is not going to happen. We have to save us. She definitely had this speech prepared. <laughs> you know, I just had it ready to go. That's why I'm going to go find help. She says, I'm leaving in the morning. Come with me if you want to get out of this fucking hellhole. So she's officially put a plan into action. Got the 2021. Nat and Kev are in bed together. Cute. The latter is asleep. Nat received a text telling her to leave the money on the counter of Grand and DeWalt at 2am. We pan over a tree in someone's yard in the darkness. A dog barking and a police siren can be heard in the background. Hmm. We pan down the tree to reveal. Ty sitting in it, frozen in a bizarre crouch with a horrifying twisted expression. She is the lady in the tree that Sammy has been seeing. She is the spectre of all his nightmares. One of her hands is bloody sporting a recent bite matthew when you first watched this do you think she did you think she bit her own hand
0: yeah like i could have sworn even the last few times i'll watch the episode she she was like eating herself right mm. we'll
1: see the text from the blackmailer wakes her up she moans in pain and confusion
0: who else could it be you'll see
1: <laughs> she spits out some dirt old habits die hard eh poor tie it's easy to sort of meme about but this really sucks for her I feel sorry for her. She examines the bite mark on her hand, pulls out her phone with some difficulty. Nat texts her. Apparently, it is go time. Ty looks around in confusion, fucking understandably, I have to say, and the episode ends. Great fucking ending. (laughs) Yeah, really. uh, Ah, some really great kick-ass moments in this episode. I think it maybe feels a bit less cohesive than some other episodes. But it still had a lot of really great scenes in it. I did really enjoy this episode, even if it's not quite as good as some others. Uh, Matthew, do you have any further thoughts on this ep, or any further thoughts in
0: general? No, not really. <laughs> cool,
1: cool. And, uh, yeah, that's all for today. Listeners, be well. And remember, we're not out of the woods yet.